Welcome back everyone to the podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Dentons. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. In our last episode, we were joined by Paul Prescott and Dean Ryburn from Denton's Middle East Construction and Dispute Resolution Groups to discuss the latest updates and emerging trends in international arbitration within the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Today, in celebration of the upcoming PDAC event set to unfold in Toronto from March 3rd through 6th, we explore the advantages of arbitration for miners and mining disputes. My name is Rachel Howie. I am the co-lead for litigation and dispute resolution in Canada and the co-lead for the ADR and arbitration subgroup here. And I'm James Langley. I'm a partner in Denton's London team specialising in commercial and investor state arbitration. And uh, we are pleased to have with us today Mike Schaeffler. Mike has uh, almost 30 years experience handling complex commercial cases, both as counsel and arbitrator. He holds the FCI, ARB, Chartered Institute and QARB ADRIC designations. So uh, welcome, Mike. So thinking particularly about the mining sector, uh, Mike, Shall we start off with the advantages of arbitration as as against litigation? Happy to. And keep in mind that the assumption in uh, underlying what I'm about to tell you is that the parties actually want to get this dispute, this imaginary dispute that I'm about to talk about uh, now, resolved quickly. Uh, obviously, sometimes there are strategic imperatives where clients don't want uh, disputes resolved quickly and they want to drag them out. If that's their objective, I would suggest that international commercial arbitration may not be their top priority. But assuming now that we're dealing with the uh, the latter or the former situation, then obviously the speed in which uh, a typical complex or simple arbitration case can be uh, determined from start to finish is uh, a, a clear advantage over traditional um, litigation procedures in uh, courts. And to give you an example, we recently finished uh, a U.S. $400 million case uh, ad hoc under the Baniac rules uh, from start from the from the time that the arbitral tribunal was appointed to the date of the arbitral award was less than twelve months, and similarly, we did an ICC case a couple of years back now for seventy five million dollars U.S., where from start to finish the time was sixteen months. Wow. So speed is definitely one of the most attractive features of arbitration. There are others. So maybe diving into some of those others and exploring other advantages, what procedural or other aspects of arbitration have, in your experience, made it work for clients over the years? Yes. And I, I think, Rachel, the, the, the critical element here is the caliber of the decision maker uh, in whom the parties repose trust to get it done. So the arbitrators that I've had the pleasure of working with are true professionals. They first of all understand 
the canons of contractual interpretation like very few other people around the world. And that, at the end of the day, is pretty much all an international commercial arbitration dispute boils down to. How is this contract to be interpreted? Then you get into the uh, some of the peripheral issues that come up from time to time. Uh, extraneous evidence, is it substantive law, is it not? But good experts, good tribunals who know these procedures and who, who know how to control the process on top are uh, absolutely essential for this. And in my experience, maybe I've been lucky, but um, I've only worked with very good arbitrators. Similarly, having sophisticated opposing counsel is, is more often the case, in my experience, in these complex international cases than compared to, for example, a good domestic court scrap. Um, <clears throat> then you get into some of the ideas that have permeated arbitration procedure and are now very well understood. There's, of course, the, the overarching procedural order number one, which is effectively the rule book as to how the arbitration will be conducted. That's now well understood. And counsel and tribunal alike will know, okay, we need to make certain modifications for this particular case. But the recipe or the formula is often quite similar. There's also an understanding that you don't need oral discovery rights at nauseam, which you tend to have, at least in Canadian uh, and certainly in American-based litigation. So being able to dispense with that without impairing the quality of the uh, end product is, a, is an excellent feature of arbitration because often you don't need any oral discovery. And sometimes if you need a little bit, well, you can tailor your process to to just that that right amount of uh, discovery flavor in your um, in whatever it is you're preparing. At the end of the day, there's also the general flexibility that comes with the proceeding. If you need to speak to the tribunal, there's a phone call or an email, and it gets set up. And before you know it, it's a Zoom call or a Teams call. And you're on the horn with the arbitrator and whatever the little hiccup or issue might be gets resolved. Um, and I think also the process itself is user friendly, i.e. client friendly. They don't have to submit themselves to endless hours of discovery, as I said earlier. They do have to invest a little bit of time in preparing their own affidavit. But then when the actual hearing on the merits occurs, assuming there is an oral phase, sometimes there's no need for an oral hearing at all. But when it does take place, it very often takes the form of five minutes of warm up only by your own lawyer and then some cross-examination all in front of the arbitrator. So there aren't, uh, there aren't needless and unnecessary objections because very quickly... The experienced tribunal weighs in and kind of indicates uh, what what objections will fly and 
what objections won't, unlike your normal discovery process, for example. So I think there's a there's that added benefit of the clients are generally spared a lot of the heavy lifting that they might have to do in litigation because a lot of it is done through arguments that the lawyers can prepare with only very minimal um, involvement of, of the client and they can carry on with their business activities, which is their prime objective in, in having commercial arbitration in the first place. And Mike, uh, do you think arbitration is particularly suited to certain industries? And if so, which ones and why? I would say the answer is not specifically to one industry or a handful of industries over any others. Um, and that the reason I say that is because, of, like I said earlier, a commercial dispute that's susceptible to arbitration usually hinges around the interpretation of a contract. So that could be any industry, at least theoretically speaking. That said, uh, in my experience, uh, indeed, one of the very first cases I was asked to, to become involved in as a junior lawyer was a mining case. And the cases that I've been uh, leading are, have all, almost all been mining cases. Um, disputes over the interpretation of royalty language, disputes over the interpretation of termination rights in long-term supply contracts, disputes over buyback rights uh, in the context of a net smelter royalty. These are all fairly common disputes in the mining world. I know that our firm does a lot of oil and gas um, disputes as well by way of arbitration. I've had some product uh, liability uh, matters uh, done by arbitration. We've had some professional liability matters done by way of arbitration. Uh, so, but I, it does seem that natural resources, maybe if that's a large umbrella, uh, slash energy, seem to be at the core of a lot of the cases I've seen, at least. Well, and that somewhat makes sense thinking back to your earlier comments on the caliber of the tribunal with respect to contractual interpretation. And when you think of how those industries tend to be based around long-term contracts and contracts that might in some cases go back decades or more. Um, in your experience, when looking at those types of disputes, is arbitration more expensive than litigation? Is it less expensive? How do you find things to line up on the cost side? That That's a great question, Rachel. And I, I would say to you, the answer is, it is more efficient. And I mean, I, I say that because litigation can be cheaper. Without a question, you can have a $10 billion case that is served on you in court. It's served on you and you could bring a summary judgment motion early in the proceeding and be successful and have the case dismissed for maybe a few hundred thousand dollars in fees, assuming it survives uh, any appellate uh, review. 
Um, but that's probably more the exception than the general rule, which is that court proceedings, unfortunately, tend to be more drawn out, tend to be more unpredictable, may involve some motion warfare here and there, as a result of which you're spending many, many, many more years than are in arbitration litigating, and you may or may not settle. And if you don't settle, you're going to be into a hearing that invariably will be much longer in duration because the rules of evidence are obviously stricter uh, and uh, there isn't the five-minute warm-up-your-witness-examination-in-chief protocol. You must, unless there are special rules that have been agreed, you must lead all your evidence-in-chief upon which you intend to rely. So that makes it much, much longer. Um, and the thing about arbitration is you can tell your client the number is going to be in the range of X to Y. You can be reasonably confident that that's a decent estimate because you know in your experience, case is going to take somewhere between 12 to maybe 24 months to be resolved. And I'm talking here about a standard international commercial dispute, I'm not talking about investment uh, uh, treaty arbitrations, which, which, which uh, Rachel, as you know, all too well, have different uh, considerations. But you can tell your client you're going to spend X dollars in 12 to 24 months, and they can almost bank on that. The intensity of the spend is going to be higher in that period because you're getting the whole case done in a much shorter period of time. So in year one of an arbitration, for example, you will probably spend more than in your typical year one litigation scenario. But then you're done after year one or maybe year two, and you're not in the litigation where the spend continues for many more years. So Mike, when people are discussing benefits of arbitration somewhere on the list one normally finds confidentiality privacy um and uh, i think sometimes it's sort of taken for granted it, is arbitration really confidential in your experience so the short answer is yes it is but you do need to understand what are the rules slash loopholes slash exceptions so first of all, if the parties don't agree in their arbitration agreement that the arbitration is confidential, then unless the rules that they've adopted st state that the arbitration is confidential, then it's prima facie not confidential. In other words, there's no reason why one couldn't write articles about the case or refer to it, generally speaking. On the other hand, if, as most cases in my experience, are expressly designated by the parties to be confidential, then obviously it is the party's business and the party's business alone to talk about the case with, obviously, their advisors and the tribunal. 
here come some of the loopholes. The biggest one, of course, being if a party who's unsuccessful wishes to bring a set-aside proceeding in court, which is where you would need to do that, unless you agree to a private appeal right, for example, which you can do as well. But assuming you have to go to court, then the award, for example, will find its way into the record. You could have an agreement with a counterparty that only a redacted uh, award is shown to the court, because that's almost always all you need on a set-aside, plus the procedural background. But <clears throat> when you're applying to court, uh, you're the applicant, so your name is in the public record. The respondent who won the arbitration, their name will be in the record because they're going to be the named counterparty in the litigation. And the subject matter will invariably be in the public record. Even if you've redacted the reward in bits and pieces, the general nature of the underlying dispute and who the panel were, for example, or the panel was, if it was a sole arbitrator, these types of things be do become public knowledge. Also, if before there's a final determination, there's a need to go to the supervising court for relief relating to the arbitration itself, there is a there's a good chance that some information will need to be disclosed. And so it's not an absolute confidentiality that you can ever guarantee your clients. Thank you very much for joining us, Mike. It's been excellent chatting with you. Denton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Denton's.com for legal notices.